Thanks, Travis. It's a privilege to be at Harvest Church. It's a privilege to have air conditioning. Uh, last week, I was preaching in Dakar, Senegal, and preached through my socks, literally. So I praise God for air conditioning. I praise God for uh, a church that does feel like family. A uh, really cool story. Last Sunday, uh, Dakar, Senegal is one of those unreached people groups. We were at an assembly of God's service, and the preaching didn't start until the hour and a half mark. So uh, I don't know what you have planned this afternoon, but we might be going for a while. Uh, one of my buddies that I played football with 36 years ago at Wheaton College, he was the co-captain on the defense and I was the co-captain on the offense. We now work together and he spent 21 years learning French in Senegal. I preached in English last week and he translated in French. Rodney, would you just stand up and let the church give you hands? Pretty, pretty cool just to think 36 years from now, some of you might be in heaven by that point. Others of you might be doing some things that you never thought were possible. My journey with Harvest began in 2012. Uh, as uh, Travis said, we were pastoring up the road here at Central Church. And before we left to go overseas, I was tasked with the responsibility of getting somebody as an interim. And there was this dude in Memphis that had this ministry called Downline. Uh, his name was Kenan Vaughn. And we asked Kenan to come to Central to see if he could kind of fill in for about 12 weeks. And God did some stuff in the brother's life during that time. And one of the things that God did in Kenan's life was raise this desire to pastor a church. Can you imagine? And God birthed this idea to plant a disciple-making church a church that not only would meet on Sundays like we're doing today, but a, a church that would raise up people that would have the heart of Jesus. And if you've not said amen today, this might be a good point to say that. Uh, we're followers of Jesus more than we are just church members. And so Kenan had this desire to be a part of a, a movement of people that would have Christ at the heart and what could happen with that? What would happen in Memphis and what would happen in our, in our world and uh, I just, it's been a privilege to watch that, and many of our family at Central now call Harvest Home. It's been a journey to watch that. It's been a privilege to see that vision. A fellow by the name of Steve Winstead and his wife Margaret and their boys, they answered the call to discipleship, and we've met with them in Ethiopia. Uh, Kent and Jenny Austell, another family from this church, got raised up to be uh, part of a they call him a superintendent, but he's more just a movement leader at Bingham Academy in Ethiopia, and it's just been a privilege to be a part of that. Last January, you know the events that happened in this church. It was a privilege at that time. My daughter teaches in San Antonio, and uh, I was able to be in the room with Kenan and Margaret as they were trying to, uh, Catherine, as they were trying to figure out what just happened to them, and had a chance to pray with them in San Antonio, and then... A couple weeks after that, I had the privilege to be in this church as Pastor Ronnie Stevens got up, and I don't know if Ronnie's here today, but God just used Ronnie in a powerful way uh, to do two things, for us to grieve the loss of Bill and the other three, but to also point the way that we are a people of the cross and we're a people of the resurrection. And because of that, death does not get the last word, life does. And so it's been a real privilege to be a part of this church uh, if you're taking notes, please write down this next thing. I really do believe that what happened last January was not just something that happened to five people, but it was something that happened to all of us that are a part of Harvest Church. 
is that God did not allow those events to happen for us to continue for life as normal, but God in his sovereignty knew that there was a church that was called Harvest, that God was preparing this church for the harvest. And as I think about today, I I just have to stand in front of you today that God is being faithful to the vision that God gave Ken in those years ago, that God is preparing this church for one of the most unbelievably strategic seasons of this church's life. And that season of this church's life comes at the same season of one of the most strategic season in the American church's life. As you know, the church of Jesus Christ in America is being squeezed like it's never been squeezed before. And isn't it ironic that God is raising up this church for its most strategic hour to correspond to the most strategic hour that God has for the church in America? What does all all that mean? God does not by accident have you here today. God does not by accident have you affiliated with this church. God is on the move and he wants to use this church for that. So what we wanna do right now is we want you to pray for one another. When you come to church, uh, you show up in church, it's good to see people that you know, but when you come to church on Sunday, church is not for us to find our social clique. Sunday morning church is a place for us that we see people and we stick our hand out and we introduce ourselves and we look them in the face and say, Jesus has something for you. And so what I want us to do right now is I want you to pray for the people sitting around you, but I don't know the people that are sitting around you. Beautiful. As you pray for them, now you have something to talk about when the sermon's over. All right? So we want you to pray for one another, and here's what I want you to pray today. All right? Can you say this with me out loud? Jesus wants to bring freedom. Can you say that? Jesus wants to bring freedom. Jesus wants to bring freedom. Would you pray that to one another right now? Just pray for that, and then I'll bring us to the Lord in prayer. Do that right now. Jesus wants to bring freedom. It's really quiet right now. Pray for those that are sitting around you that Jesus would bring freedom. Father, we would ask today that Jesus Christ would be loud in our midst today. God, we would ask for Jesus to move powerfully in our spirits today. God, each and every one of us are sitting on top of some forces in our hearts that, God, uh, are are playing havoc in our mind. God, each and every one of us today, uh, uh, with our head, we believe many things about the Lord, but when our hearts, uh, we're entertaining a lot of other things. And so, God, I pray today that Jesus Christ would be freedom to each and every one of us. In your mighty name we pray, amen. I'm coming back hot, came in Friday after 27 days in Africa, seven countries, three of those unreached people groups, our unreached people group countries. I was in Kenya, Zimbabwe, Zambia, DRC, Kinshasa, Senegal, the Islamic Republic of Mauritania, yes it exists, and then finished in Morocco. And my buddy down in Zimbabwe, if you think church is long here, Eight to nine o'clock is prayer, 40% of the church is there. Nine to 10 o'clock is worship. 10 o'clock, the entire church breaks up into small groups and they do discipleship from 10 to about 11.15. 11.30, preachers on till one. Church is over at 1.15, we talk till two, lunch at three, and we're home by five. So I don't know what you have planned, but we got some stuff cooking today, all right? Can't come back from Africa without a, uh, an African story. You can turn in your Bibles to John chapter four. But you gotta come back to Africa with, a, with an elephant story. Baby elephant is born in the circus, 
Comes out at about 300 pounds. Those of you who are pregnant, praise God for that. <laughs> Baby comes out about 300 pounds, and uh, what do we do with it? So we tie a rope around its leg, and we put a stake in the ground. And that 300-pound baby grows up, and it has this rope on its leg, and it has a stake in the ground. And that rope around its leg and that stake in the ground is designed to control that elephant. But one thing about that elephant, it continues to grow, doesn't it? And that 300-ground elephant grows up to be about 5,000 pounds. And the interesting thing about that 5,000-pound elephant is the same rope that held it when it was a baby at 300 pounds tied to a stake. Now that it's 5,000 pounds and all it has to do is slowly lift one of those big old footprints, because it has been conditioned by the things that bound it when it was a baby, and now it is an adult and it's been carrying around a habit pattern of hurt and hangups and, and hardships, that same elephant is still bound by that which bound it when it was a baby. See, for us today, for especially those in the evangelical church, it's very easy to get our doctrine right. It's very easy for us to understand sanctification. It's easy for us to understand that, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, but every single one of us, myself included in here, we're sitting on top of a volcano of forces inside of us that what we know about Jesus is much further along than how we act towards Jesus. True or false? A little soft, true or false. We know so much more than our hurt can entertain. And we come to church and we get our theology right, but Monday through Saturday, we still have these elephantine issues that have a hold on us. And maybe some of you are bringing those elephants into the church today. We have been free and we have been released through the blood of Jesus Christ to live in freedom. But at the same time that we have that truth, we have some habits and some hangups and some hurts that continue to hold us in a place where we don't have freedom. Anybody ready for some good news today? The good news of today is that is the place that Jesus Christ is drawn to. The songs we sang today, hey, good tunes, just really good tunes, great music today, good worship. The beauty of the songs that we sang today is because of the fact that what? That Jesus Christ can bring freedom. That's what he does and that's what he is good at. Remember what I asked you to say? Jesus, what? Brings freedom. He brings freedom. And maybe right now this is the part of the sermon that you need to spend some time in just saying, God, I've got some elephantine issues I've got some places in my heart that God's not finished with me yet. I've got some places in my life that have not been exposed to the fullness of Jesus yet. And God, today, I need you to speak into that place. You've got some people that are around you that don't even know those elephantine issues. But let me give you some great encouragement. All of us have them. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4 if you haven't made it there. I need to look at the time. Uh, it would be a good thing if we could land this sometime this morning. Goodness, if you believe in miracles, start praying. So we're 20 verses past the most famous passage that all of us know. What? John 3, 16, give it to him. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son, for what reason? That whosoever, what? Believeth in him shall not perish, but will have what? A life called eternal life. 20 verses after that, 
Let's watch Jesus the missionary go in action. Some sport commentators, maybe Barrett Jones is in the house, they make this statement, uh, a good offense is your best defense. And I want you to see Jesus the missionary go into action. I, I could preach that point right now. The issues that we're facing in our country right now, we can argue about them. Jesus Christ had a lot of issues that he could take up. He could have gone after the Pharisees. He could have gone after the Romans. But what Jesus did went after, he went after the least and the lost of the least of these. And that's where his focus was, is his focus was a redemptive heart on people. And I want us to do three things today as we read this passage. We're going to have to read it fast because it's a big passage. But I want you to watch Jesus Christ in action. And maybe some of you have not even used Jesus' name this week. We are a church that's committed to Jesus Christ. And I want you to watch our Savior in action. And I want you to watch the way that he pursues a woman just like us to bring her true freedom. Like that elephant, this woman has been locked up into some desires and some thirsts that are not being satisfied in the right way. And he wants to bring freedom in that. And as we watch Jesus walk through this woman's story, he's not just walking through her story, what? He's walking through our story. And I want you to see the freedom that she experiences. And I want you to see what she does with that freedom. It doesn't stop at her freedom. Once somebody experiences the victory of elephantine proportions, they cannot be quiet, why? Because Jesus has released them. And we are living in one of the most amazing moments of church life. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit of God would light us up in a way to release the potential that has been bound up still in its infancy stage. So would you read along with me? 20 verses after John uh, 3.16. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he's in Jerusalem heading to Galilee. I wish I had a screen that I could put it up. Two routes to Jerusalem, two safe routes. If you enjoy the beach view, you could take the beach view. If you're somebody that enjoys the mountains, you could take the mountain view to avoid Samaria. Here's what it says. Now he had to go through Samaria. We'll come back to that. The true question is he did not have to go through Samaria. He chose to go through Samaria. Why? So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Mark that in your scripture because we're going to keep coming back to this idea of a well. All right? Whenever we see words that are in the passage, we hang on to that. This word well has so much information to it. It's not just a historical well, but it's become the metaphor that unlocks the Sudoku of this woman's struggle. He parks it at a well, uh, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the what? By the well. It was about noon. Remember that time frame as well. All the other ladies of the town had come earlier that day to the well. This woman was coming at noon. There's a reason for that. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food because they were concerned about those type things. That's Fry's addition. Uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband. Ah! Now our story gets profoundly intriguing. We're talking religion, but God is not all that concerned about religion, is he? Because the head very seldom is what our problem is. She knew enough theology to be dangerous. And now Jesus wants to probe into her elephantine heart, that place where the real life happens. Not the Sunday morning stuff where we affirm doctrine, which is important, but the Monday through Saturday place where our heart resides and that's where the warfare is. Hey, go call your husband. Let's just stop for a minute, this is Jesus. Let's just stop for a minute. This is a shame culture. And in a shame culture, you don't ask shameful questions. But this is Jesus, and Jesus is not really all that concerned about what taboo is. Jesus is concerned about what's going on in her heart and what's going on in my heart. Go call your husband. Um, You were right, I I have no husband, she replied, and Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you're 0 for 5. You've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Let's fast forward just a little bit down to verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to me. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, that's what she came to the well for, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come what? See a man who told me everything I ever did. Did Jesus tell her everything that that she ever did? Not according to the text. Jesus did tell her everything that was her everything. And as he told her her everything, what? There was freedom as Jesus embraced the everything that was going on inside of her. Disciples come back and they don't have a clue. Man, Jesus, you must be hungry. Verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't uh, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until what? A little bit louder, this is the name of the church. Until what? Until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look around the fields. They are ripe for harvest. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Look at 39, look at 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritan woman came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed with them two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. The reading of God's word and the life of Jesus Christ and once he wants to accomplish in and through us. Amen for that. Some highlights here, we wanna break this down into three parts and we wanna do it real quickly. The first part that we wanna look at 
is Jesus's intentionality to pursue the well in each of our lives. Point number one, you got it? The intentionality of Jesus to pursue the well in each one of our lives. What do we mean by that? Is each and every one of us in this room today have a well that we are drinking from. We have a place where we are going for our identity. And Jesus is gonna pursue that place because if the well that we're drinking from is not the well of Christ, it doesn't matter how much we drink from that place, it will never satisfy. And so Jesus is gonna identify the well in our life to show her how toxic and unfulfilling that place is. See, we have been inundated with the American dream And the American dream will not satisfy the place that only Jesus Christ can satisfy. There's no amount of anything. So point number one is Jesus wants to go after that well. Point number two, divine intervention. Jesus is gonna expose her emotionally naked in front of the Savior and there's no shame at that place. And maybe today is the place of divine intervention for you. I know for me, I carry around some habits inside of me, good intentions, good things, but done for the wrong reason and done to satisfy something in me that's not of the Lord. And then thirdly, what we wanna see as Harvest Church today is we wanna see the impact that her life had after Jesus brought freedom. Three points. First of all, the intentionality, and I wish we had all day today. All right, can y'all cancel your afternoon anyway? Uh, Some things I want us to look at, all right? I want you to see the intentionality of Jesus, all right? For, For a Jew that was raised in a Jewish church, all right, what Jesus was doing was scandalous. Jews do not hang around Samaritans. And so Jesus had this band of 12 that he was trying to expand the bandwidth of their understanding of what it meant that Jesus loved the whole world. It sounds like a Memphis situation, doesn't it? Because we struggle with that. We are people that are profoundly comfortable with people that look like us, act like us, and talk like us. And so what Jesus wants to do in this passage is in our heart is to show us the heart of Jesus Christ, that the heart of Jesus Christ, the bandwidth of our heart has to extend beyond the people that look like us, act like us, and talk like us. And so what he does is he intentionally places himself in the middle of a well, in the middle of Samaritan that no man had ever gone before, especially the Savior. Ah! I just love that. I love the fact that he's not a safe Savior. I love the fact that he's always moving out to the places that his people need to go because he knows that we're comfortable in air conditioning. I'm coming back from the Islamic Republic of Mauritania and I could not wait to get out of there. I landed and could not wait to get out of there. It was hot. It was hot. I love crushed ice. I I take in about four pounds of crushed ice a day. No crushed ice, no air conditioning. Had a fan that just blew hot air on me. Thank you. Could not wait to leave that place, but there are millions of people in Nawakasha, Mauritania that need Jesus Christ. 99.9% of that country has nobody, nobody that loves them and is pursuing them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So what Jesus is doing here in this passage is showing us not only John 3.16, not only does that dance and you get the star on your forehead for memorizing it, 
But John 3.16 is the passion of our Savior. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, it has to be what? It has to be our modus operandi as well. So he has to go what? He has to go to Samaria. Why? Because he has divine intervention. Secondly, the thing that we want us to see is that he places himself intentionally at the well. Now, the well is the watering hole. Now, the well is the place where where people go to get what? Physical water at that place. Uh, In that day and age where they did not have 7-Elevens, one of my favorite places, they they, they had wells, which was a, a place that was a meeting place. And Jesus is parking himself at this historic place. Why? Because he wants this woman to identify the water that she's drinking from and the insufficiency of that water source to satisfy her true needs in Christ. Third thing I want you to see just methodologically before we probe a little bit deeper here is I want you to see how he got to this woman's heart. How did he do it? Savior of the world? knows more information than anybody on the planet, and the way that he got to her heart was through preaching, right? No. Hey, can you give me something to drink? Two questions that he asked, can you give me something to drink? Go call your husband, and within two questions, Jesus was inside the inferno of this woman's heart. I love that about this passage. I work with pastors across Africa, and we have a very difficult time doing what Jesus did. I've been to three levels of education beyond high school. I've got uh, some letters after my name. And so when I get in front of a group of people, what I want to do, I want to give information. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that as you give information apart from relationship, you don't know what's going on in that person's life. And so what Jesus does is he says a very simple question. Hey, give me something to drink. And why does he ask such a simple question? Because he's diagnosing this woman's what? Her religious identity. And sure enough, what does he learn from her? That this woman has more religion than she knows what to do with. Don't you know? Don't you know? That you and I, we don't dance together. You're a J, I'm an S. And we have historic reasons not to. Church, I wish I had more time, but look at all the taboos that Jesus is breaking in this passage. He's breaking the religious taboo. He's breaking the ethnicity taboo. He's breaking the gender taboo. And lastly, he is breaking what other taboo? He is breaking the the holiness taboo because this woman has a reputation. Can we sit on top of that for a minute? Can you do some evaluation of your last week? We don't shop in those areas, it's unsafe. Father, do we want to be more like the world or do we want to be more like our our Savior? Lord, do we want to play it culturally safe or do we want to be people that truly are Christians and do what Jesus does? And here he is, breaking all kinds of taboos to show this woman and to show us today that our Savior is more dangerous and more radical than anything we could ever imagine. Why? because he wants to bring freedom to her and he wants to bring freedom to us. Let's talk about the well ever so quickly because it becomes part of the conversation. 
He starts using this analogy of returning to the well, returning to the well, returning to the well. Hey, 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 give me some of that water so that I don't have to keep coming to that well. And so he's, he's having this conversation that, 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 that just keeps adding on layer upon layer. This idea of what makes you thirsty and how you're satisfying that thirst. And, and now they're kind of playing tennis back and forth with one another. And now Jesus is ready for the, new, uh, the, the, the shot. And he says, go call your husband. Why does Jesus say that question is because this woman's issue was an issue that all of us have in here. Every single one of us have a valid reason to be loved, correct? Every single one of us want to be loved. The only problem with that is that earthly love was never meant to give us what only Jesus Christ can give us. And she was thirsting. She was thirsting to be affirmed. She was thirsting to be loved. She was thirsting to be acknowledged. She was thirsting to have somebody to truly know her. And look at the size of her thirst. She went through five dudes. This woman's thirst was exponential. And Jesus exposed that, why? So that he might get to the core of her heart for her to learn what? There's only one person that can ever satisfy. See, church, we are spiritual creatures in this room, and because we're spiritual creatures, we can only be satisfied by spiritual solutions. And this woman is carrying around something deep within her. When I was about 10 years old, uh, I wore the most hideous glasses you could ever imagine. The only problem was I didn't know it. I thought they were kind of studly until somebody told me they were hideous. I was breaking glasses like crazy, playing pickup football games, 100 bucks a pop back in the 80s was quite a bit. Mom and dad had to come to an executive decision at the house, we gotta get you some indestructible glasses. These things had a black nose piece, maybe you've seen these things. They are a curse to look at. And I wore them with pride. Houston, Texas, high school had a pitcher getting ready to go from the high school to the big leagues. I was addicted to sports, got on my banana seat bike, rode it up there, second inning, Clyde's throwing BBs. And a couple of high schoolers, they look over at me and they see this dude wearing these elephantine glasses. And one of the dudes looks at me with his buddies right there and he goes, yo, does that nose piece have a radio inside of it? And they high-fived each other and I got on my bike and started driving home and one of those holy rollers out of the east came out of my eye, started crying and, and something happened inside of me as a 10 year old that I never wanted to feel rejected again. My soul made, a, made a, a commitment with my spirit that whatever this feeling is like, let's not go there again. Got home, mom loved on me, I had a super mom. So proud of you, so proud of you, come here, let me give you some, you know, all that stuff. But deep down inside, something happened deep in me and that hurt me. So sports for me was a way to go to the well. Sports for me was a way for me to drink deeply out of the well of my own performance. And whether it was football season, I could spiral the ball. Whether it was basketball season, I could spin the, spin the shot. Whether it was baseball season, that's another story. But, but I enjoyed the seasons. And the seasons produced in me a response that gave me affirmation and validity. Well, I got to play college football, and when I finished college football, I segued into ministry, and, and I could put sentences together. 
And I could stand up and I could share and, and things came out that made sense. And people said sometimes, hey, we, we really appreciate what you have. And little did I realize that there was something that was going on inside of me that was powerful, is that I was drinking from a well that was a lie. And the lie was always comes in an if form. If you can perform, if you can achieve, if you can so work in such a way that you never, ever, ever have to deal with that wounded part of Ernest Tobert Fry, then I would be okay. Do you see the lie? Do you see the well that I was drinking from? I was drinking from a well of performance and I continually had to come back to that well to feed the significance. And the only way that I could get that significance was what? To get that significance through affirmation. And then you pastor a church. You see where I'm going with this? Then you pastor a church and it happens to be a place that, that God's doing some stuff. Pastor, thank you for your ministry. But, but when that thank you came, little did the people know when they gave that thank you that it was feeding the beast that was inside of me. It was feeding that performance area of my life that said I am valuable because I have achieved. Is anybody hearing me today? Maybe you've been drinking from the well of performance. Maybe you have been drinking from a well that says if you live in the right zip code, if you live in the same size house, if you are able to earn a certain amount, if your kids are in the right school, if your kids don't get in trouble, if, 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 if. I don't know what your well is, but I know this, every single one of us are tempted to live out of a well that we were never meant to drink from. So then therefore, anytime something got close, my wife is here today, praise God for her. She's had to live with somebody like me. And anytime that, re, that, that, that rejection place gets close, there's a fighter inside of me that comes out and it is not pretty. Because of something that happened to me when I was a kid that I have let shape me and define me and to mark me. Because affirmation and acceptance and public view of me was not meant to be the fuel that my identity rests upon. My identity and your identity rest upon what? Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. This would be a good time to say amen. So here she is. So here she is. Totally exposed in Jesus, with nothing to hide upon other than what? The genuine love of Jesus Christ. Write this in your notes. Shame and guilt, shame and guilt, both, excuse me, shame and grace both occupy the same place in our life. Shame and grace both occupy failure. And when shame is operating in a person's life, what happens to our head? The shame of it makes us do what? Our head goes down and we begin to look at all the things that we've done wrong, right? And, and, and the enemy begins to accuse all of the things that we've done. That's what shame does. Grace works the exact opposite. Is that when the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to operate in our lives, instead of looking down and within and bringing shame, 
when we're exposed to that which Jesus wants to expose us to, our head is lifted upward to who he is. And instead of focusing on what we've done, we focus on what he's done for us. That's the beauty of the exchange life. And here is a woman totally in front of Jesus without nothing to stand upon, her her well completely exposed. And Jesus what? Jesus looks at her in forgiveness. Now what's interesting, we don't have anywhere in here where it says she trusted in the Lord. We don't have anywhere in this passage where it says she prayed the sinner's prayer. I came to the Lord through the sinner's prayer. You can't get into heaven without the sinner's prayer except we don't see it in this passage. We just see a woman who what? We see a woman who has found forgiveness and she's found liberation from the cycle of her what? The cycle of her well. She's released and she's free and it cannot contain her. Before we move on, just a couple questions for you to explore. Goodness, I wish we had a three hour retreat right now. So here's the question, first question, what is the well that you're drinking from? What is the well that you're drinking from today? And all of us have one, so don't look around and go, well, I don't have one. Yeah, you do. Some of your identity is wrapped up in Ole Miss football. Goodness gracious. If you're an Aggie fan from A&M, please, please don't put your dependence on the Aggies. What is the well that you're drinking from? What are the deposits you're making off of that? How has your life been totally defined by the well that you're drinking from? Second question that goes along with that, what is the lie of the well that you're drinking from? If, what's the if statement that comes after that? If I can what? If I can perform, maybe my dad will love me. Some of you come from some wounded dad homes. And I tell you what, a wounded dad syndrome is a difficult thing for a guy to overcome. A dad that, that enough was never of enough So the guy might not even be around anymore, but you're still living for the approval that comes from a dad who's not there. Because as a kid, he continued what? It was never good enough. And so now the well that you're drinking from is what? You're drinking from that well. Maybe some of you have the Samaritan woman syndrome. You're a female in here. Maybe if, 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 if I looked a certain part, if I can just get in shape, if I can drop a few more, then I can be accepted for the way that I want to be accepted. Church, let me just say this today. All of these strategies that we use to overcome the well in our life are insufficient except for what? Jesus Christ is the only solution to that. The only way to get off of the habit trail of performance is to trust that Jesus Christ is the one that's come to fill that place in my life. It's the only way. Church, it's the only way. It's the only way. What happens to the woman? Jesus closed in prayer, church is over and they leave, right? Go watch the cowboys. Now, this woman, when she found freedom, she went back into the town of the very ladies that she didn't come in the morning to. The ladies knew about her. She goes back into that town and she says, that's not in the text, but she whistles. And she says, come see this man who I was totally exposed in his presence. And he gave me something that I have never been able to find in my life. He has given me liberation and freedom. I've been liberated so that I can liberate others. I have found freedom so that I might be able to be set free. I've found victory so that I can lead others into victory. I have been resuscitated so that others might be resuscitated. 
What is your well? What is the lie? How are we living our life? We got a comment on the, on the disciples. At this point, the disciples were just not in tune with the Lord. Look at verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Does every husband and wife here have a mission statement for your family? This is a great mission statement for your family. Your existence is not defined by your salary. Our time on planet earth as a follower of Jesus is measured in our commitment to the agenda of Jesus Christ. My will, my will is to what? Is to do the will of the Father and to complete what he has started. All right, time's getting short, and so I, I, I want to just have fun right now. I really do believe that this next week in the city of Memphis is going to be unbelievable. We're going to have about 3,000 people in both of these services, all right? And, and many of you are scared uh, to death about ever sharing your faith because you, you don't know what to say. But let me just tell you this. The woman in the passage teaches us a lot. Where do you begin with? Don't begin with your strength. Begin with your weakness, Talk about what Jesus Christ has done in the midst of your addiction. This morning, I'm staying at the hotel right across the street, 5.23 in the morning. Ronnie is the midnight host. I said, Ronnie, I'm, I'm going to be preaching at this church across the way. Do you know what happened to this place? Five guys in a plane, four in heaven, one surviving for a reason. He's looking at me like, what? I think I woke him up. So he looks on his phone and he did some uh, data research for he and for me. I just wanted to know the date. And sure enough, there's the story, J25, January 25. I said, Ronnie, I need you to pray for me today. He said, what? I said, Ronnie, I'm gonna bow my head. You pray for, you want me to pray for you? And Ronnie prayed. Beautiful prayer. Prayed for the grace of God on my life. I'm reaching out to him and I'm reaching out to him by asking him to pray for me. We're gonna be about 3,000 people today in this church. Can you imagine Monday through Friday if each of us had one conversation per day? Can you imagine 15,000 gospel conversations in the next week? And I'm not talking about ushering into, into heaven. I'm talking about you sharing the victory of the freedom that God has brought to your elephantine situation and my situation. Can you imagine? Three times five, Monday through Friday, 15, excuse me, what is that, 15,000 a week, 60,000 for a month, 360,000 for the next six months, 720,000 gospel presentations this year by this church. Next year, another 720, that's 1.4 million. The third year, another right? 2.1 million people in the city of Memphis will have a chance to hear about the freeing of what Jesus Christ has done for people as we share the story of our liberation that comes through him. Amen? I tell you what, this message is not just a message to preach. This message is a, a message to live. And I believe that there's some people that are here today that are still bound by a rope that's tied to a stake in the ground and all we have to do is, is lift that addiction just a little bit of what Christ has done for us and the elephant will be released. I wanna pray right now for us. I wanna pray for us that we would find liberation today. The phrase that I, I want you to end with today is the woman left her what? She left her, her pitcher. 
She left her jar. The reason that she came to the well, she leaves at the well. Why? Because now Jesus satisfies that which she came to the well for. I pray today that Jesus Christ might bring liberation to you today. I pray that all of us might recognize that as we stay under the weight of the well that that forces us to keep coming back to that, that that well begins to define us. And today, we're going to leave our jars. Today is the day that we experience freedom. Today is the day that we are truly released. Today is the day that Jesus begins the process of releasing us from the futility of trying to satisfy that which only he can bring. Amen. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Do you remember what we said? Many of us know so much more than what we're living. And as we probe a little bit deep inside of our hearts, we realize that this Samaritan woman story is an Ernie Fry story. It's the story of my thirst for love and acceptance being found in the person of Jesus and only he is the one that truly satisfies. We're gonna take communion, we're gonna pray, and then after the, the sermon today, myself along with the elders of the church are gonna be up here in the front Some of you today cannot leave and get in your car without finding somebody else to pray over your life. The addictions that we have to this kind of circular behavior is staggering. And maybe today is the day that the Lord wants us to leave our jar to experience the fullness of what Christ can bring. Amen for that. Let's pray right now, and then we're going to take communion. Father, just to be quite honest, I don't like to be exposed. (laughs) I I really enjoy kind of being somebody that is fairly satisfied in myself. The only problem is, God, I I know myself well enough. And Lord, I know the, the addictions of my heart to things like praise and acceptance and affirmation, and approval. I'm a people pleaser, and I love it. I love it. And Lord, I thank you that you're a savior that truly satisfies the depth of my own heart. Lord, right now, I just really sense the Holy Spirit moving in our church right now. Lord, I pray for each of us right now as we do some heart work to look at the wells that we're drinking from and the lies that we've believed, that God, we might repent and choose to live out of the love relationship that comes from Jesus. God, it's a staggering question because many in this room have built a life around their well. Many people's identity comes upon the size of their well. And I pray today, Jesus, that you would be big in our life today. That, oh God, we would understand that, that, it, that, that, that you is what we sur- uh, thirst for. And it's only you that can bring the satisfaction. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.